You're listening to the Data Point Podcast, brought to you by The Hindu. I'm your host, Sonika Loganathan. Today, we're taking a look at CCTV camera surveillance data and understanding whether the public safety and security pros of having these cameras outweigh the privacy cons. India's CCTV camera coverage has grown massively, and Delhi and Chennai now have more cameras per square mile than cities in China. And generally, the public sentiment is that having CCTV cameras at least acts as a reassurance. In the event of a crime, you know, we have video footage to rely on. But while we've seen more and more cameras pop up on street corners, we haven't really seen a reduction in crime rates, and we still don't really know what laws are in place or how this kind of video footage holds up in a court of law. So to discuss the pros and cons and where we draw the line between surveillance and privacy and public safety, I'm joined by Anushka Jain, a lawyer and policy researcher who works as the policy counsel at the Internet Freedom Foundation, where she focuses on surveillance technology and its human rights impact. And I'm also joined by Srinivas Kodali, a hacktivist and researcher on digitization. Anushka Srinivas, thank you so much for joining me today. I want to start off with this main question about crime, right? So Delhi and Chennai both now have more CCTV cameras per square mile than China, which was previously seen as the country that perhaps has the most surveillance mechanisms in place, right? So if the goal of this surveillance by the police is to reduce crime, or at least be able to monitor and maybe preemptively stop criminal activity, do you think this is being achieved? Srinivas, you can start us off. I think it's a claim, right? Uh, there hasn't been any major analysis uh, within the criminal justice uh, system, right? Like neither by the police or neither by, uh, by the justice system side of it, right? Like uh, we don't have any evidence because most of these systems are closed. Uh, but from the looks of it, uh, it's clear they don't always work because the cameras are not always functioning. Like we continuously hear in courts where judges are questioning why was the camera not working, right? So uh, there is kind of a divergent reality between the claims and what's happening on the ground. Anushka, do you have you know anything to add? And especially, I'm thinking you know in terms of women's safety and like crimes against women has there been an impact in that regard it's very important to understand that that is the narrative that is pushed to basically put these cctvs in place because the companies that are making the cctvs they are saying that they will help reduce crime so buy them and the police because police and the government because they want to be seen as doing something to reduce crime which is definitely a very big issue in India. They also, you know, are very keen to buy them and to, you know, make it known that we are deploying CCTVs. And you, you could have seen that with everything that's happening in Hyderabad and how the Delhi chief minister was celebrating the fact that Delhi is the most surveilled city in 2021. However, that's, that's where it stops because there is no evidence which shows that because of CCDVs, there has been a reduction in crimes, nor is there any study, extensive study, which shows how CCTVs are actually helping the police in solving crimes. Instead, there are multiple studies, not in India, but in the UK, which say, which say that there are, there is no connection between CCTV being deployed and there being a reduction in crime in the area where it has been deployed. There is no connection. And even in India, we don't have a study, but we, if we just look at the numbers, um, and because you said, uh, you know, about uh, women's safety, just look at the crime against uh, uh, women numbers in Delhi. Um, in, in 2019, 2020, 2021, the number went up. Those were the years where CCTV deployment was also going up. So logically, crime against women should have been going down. Right. And even if you look at the NCRB's 2021 report for all India data, we see that there has been a 15.3% increase in crimes against women over 2020. 
if the claim that cctv is for women's safety and it will increase women's safety then why are crimes against women not going down so i think there is a very fundamental issue here where the government wants to be seen uh, doing something correct which is you know doing something to reduce crime against women but i think they're failing to understand that the majority of crime against women happen in the form of domestic violence or happen in the form of violence perpetrated by someone they know already cctv are not really helpful in that situation and like shrinivas said in a lot of situations the cctvs are not even working um i think it was it was the controller and auditor general's report on the delhi police which said that only 20 to 40% of cctvs are working and the delhi police is able to actually look at them yep it was the 2018 to 19 audit which said that the percentage of cameras which could be monitored ranged from about 22 to 48% only just because the cctv is in place does not mean whatever is under its case is actually being looked at by someone um and if it's not being looked at then what is the point of it just being recorded or just being put onto the screen unless there is an action taken if there is something that is happening so i guess i have like a sort of counter i think anushka you're speaking maybe in terms of more preventing crime but with that logic then like any law that's in place should kind of deter people from committing a crime right so these cameras are still to some extent at least you know able to help police identify suspects and act as like a springboard so is there an advantage in that sense do you see that genius i see you nodding <laughs> so please i I'd jump love in to that because uh, hyderabad has like a large amount of cameras right Mm-hmm. So just for a little bit of context for our listeners the Telangana police rely on an extensive CCTV network for surveillance along with facial recognition technology which we'll get into in a bit but yeah they stand out in terms of access to CCTV cameras according to data from the status of policing in India report 2023 and you know each police station in Telangana has access to 257 CCTVs so the state surpasses others by a really wide margin so cameras are now part of the police investigation procedures so what the cops do the moment they arrive at a crime scene is try to look for the nearest camera and they know when around they have an estimate when the crime happened right like a window it could be in in the night period or like an hour ago so they mm-hmm. try to acquire the footage of the camera and they also try to get footage of the call data records uh, from the tower so that they can identify if somebody with the phone was at that scene so they are able to not just use facial recognition of with camera footage but also use other data other metadata from uh, cellular networks to identify criminals so definitely the it is helping them uh, with uh, closing the cases figuring figuring out who the criminal is but it doesn't always work and there is over reliance on these systems which is leading to uh, false negatives and false positives where you are arresting people who look like someone or who were there at the site of a, a crime uh, accidentally right so if there is a, a crime scene where there is no cctv footage so think of highways uh, where the uh, number of cameras density is low compared to the city right now if there was a crime that happened in, around these highways or uh, in a village then that case never gets solved and the cops don't show any interest to solve the case either so there is like an excessive reliance on these cctvs I agree with whatever Shrinivas has said and that is the issue that you know there is over reliance on CCTVs and the issue is that because the over reliance can also be to some extent a blind over reliance it can lead to extremely harmful effects yeah can you just break down you know what is meant by a false positive and a false negative a false negative means that you know they have not been able to identify the criminal as the criminal and that person goes free that is an issue that is a very big issue in terms of not being able to catch the criminal but if there is a false positive then a innocent person has been identified as the suspect or as the criminal that they are looking for and in that situation 
the constitutional rights of that person could end up being uh, violated to the extent that in Hyderabad itself, I think a couple of months ago, a person died after he was released from police custody. Yeah, so in January, Kadir Khan was arrested in Hyderabad when authorities allegedly recognized him from security camera footage as a potential culprit in a chain-snatching incident. And he was set free later, but he died while receiving medical attention from the custodial violence he faced while he was detained. And the reason he was taken into custody is because he resembled the individual that was seen in the surveillance video. In the first instance, an innocent person was picked up incorrectly because of over-reliance on CCTV and facial recognition. And, you know, there is a case to be made that that maybe that person would have still been alive if, you know, other areas of evidence would have been explored better or if, you know, there had been other checks or balances in place. And CCTVs and facial recognition was not the only thing that that was relied upon. I don't think facial recognition was used in this particular case. Only CCTV was relied upon. But they do have that technology as well. And that technology also is known to have false positive and false negative. So can you explain how this facial recognition technology works? And I think just how it's different from, you know, just taking CCTV camera footage and like trying to match it with suspects. How does that work? And do the pros of that, you know, given that you just mentioned all these false positives, do you think that the pros outweigh the cons, which would come with, you know, the kind of privacy concerns of having, you know, this kind of data be collected and stored? So facial recognition system is uh, just like any other artificial intelligence system that you train, right? You're training a machine to recognize an object. Uh, And it's not just uh, about facial recognition, right? Like the police are using these cameras to uh, identify cars, vehicles, and uh, bikes uh, on Indian traffic roads where uh, if they're overspeeding, if they are violating the signal, if they are doing a host of traffic violations, right? So cameras, there is a form of, I would say, artificial intelligence or I would say machine learning to not to give it the tone of a extremely uh, sentient entity. There is machine learning that's being used uh, to train their machines to identify people, objects, so that it becomes simpler for them to search for any individual, search for any uh, vehicle that has potentially been used in a robbery and they are trying to chase them, right? Because it's real-time. You're getting real-time camera feed from CCTVs. You can pretty much locate anyone or any vehicle across the city. This is helpful uh, if you plan to actually catch people, respond to crimes real-time, right? And this is what they're calling in Hyderabad. They're calling it real-time policing. So if I get a call, if I get an emergency call that somebody has stolen and I can just go two minutes or five minutes back and follow this guy across the city through the cameras and go and arrest him as soon as possible. So... In theory, this is great, right? It's wonderful. Right. And before we get into the challenges, um, I just want to sort of clarify, is this data after, you know, it's matched up, is it stored for just 30 days the way that, you know, CCTV camera footage is generally stored for about 30 days? How does that sort of work? Because would the system need to have all of these faces already backed up if it wants to match it with someone else's can you just explain that part a little bit anushka you want to explain the criminal procedure yeah 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 sure so see how facial recognition algorithm works is especially for criminal criminal purposes they have a database against which they are going to match the cctv footage or you know the crime scene photo or video that they have so one one um, set of um, facial signature is coming from the crime scene photo or video and then they're going to match it against whichever database they have access to so that could be the crime and criminal tracking network system which is the uh, basically the 
system which connects all police stations in India and digitizes all FIRs and police records. Or it could be any other database that they have access to. Um, it could be the passport database. It could be the drivers, uh, the DMV database. It could be um, Aadhaar, for example, or, or uh, you know, any database, basically, um, which they have access to. They can go and use it to try to find a person. So that is how facial recognition works. Um, so it really depends on the database itself, uh, how long the database is supposed to um, have your data. But in, in, in these databases, um, there is no end period for, for photographs to be removed. Um, and with the, 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 uh, the CPIA, uh, with the, uh, the Criminal Procedure Investigation Act, how it works is that it now says that any any fingerprints or any handprints or any retina or you know any kind of evidence that they are collecting from you they can keep it for 75 years why 75 years there's no explanation given how they've arrived at this arbitrary number and 75 years i mean it's not like you know somebody is being born and then they're going to take it take the 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 evidence from them assuming even if you are you know 18 or 20 um a person will probably be 95 um before that evidence is deleted and that is i don't i'm not sure what the uh, uh the age for like you know the average age is for for people in india but i'm i'm, I'm definitely sure it's not 95 um I forgot what the term is for for when people die. Average the the term but lifespan. Yeah, lifespan. Yeah, average lifespan is not ninety five. I'm pretty sure in India. So even after you die, your um, your fingerprints or your other evidence could be on on record, right? What is the point of that exercise? Okay. Okay. So now with this in mind, I mean, Srinivas, I'm gonna go back to you and just ask you what the flip side of all of this is, right? The challenge is that the cops, we don't know how the cops are using it beyond uh, in case of crimes. Are they using it in protests? So there are pretty much no protests in Hyderabad. Okay, It's hard to protest. There are a lot of preventive detention laws that allow the police to arrest you before you even go to a site for protest, right? Even in scenarios where there is an actual protest has taken place, the cops can identify you after the protest to come after you. And this has happened, right? Like during the NRC, CA-NRC protests, mm -hmm. there were students of University of Hyderabad who were protesting. So there's an FIR that was registered against them, but they only arrested them six months down the line. Okay, so uh, there are concerns of civil liberties where people who have a fundamental right to protest peacefully, right? They, they're not uh, burning things up. They're just out there opposing, right? So even that's not allowed. Now, facially, like uh, if there is no camera on the street of the site where the protest is happening, the police usually use their phones or they use um, handy cameras to actually record that entire protest because they're afraid something might happen. Uh, there could be somebody who is politically motivated to create some harm, which is true. And I think they should be allowed to do this, except there has to be an oversight on the actions of the police, which does not exist. And that's the real challenge where you don't know what they're going to do with this, what sort of harms this is going to uh, bring on citizenry. So there are two sides of this. It's just not policing on the bad people, but good people also get harmed. Like Srinivas said, you know, uh, the police is not just uh, for criminal investigation. Um, they are also for public order. And in a lot of situations in our country, public order ends up being, you know, uh, surveilling protests or, you know, ensuring that... Um, people are not, <laughs> I don't want to say that they are 
stopped from testing but there are certain barriers in place in terms of how freely uh, people can protest and police intimidation is one such barrier especially if for example um you are protesting and protesting by its very nature is against the people in power or the authority right so there is this direct conflict that is there already however because this is a democracy we do have the right to peaceful pro- pe- to peacefully protest um but if uh, for example um i am protesting and then um it is recorded and then i am identified then it can result in not only that person being uh, affected but it can also have a chilling effect on other people who are thinking of going to a protest because then they will um definitely be scared that you know this person went to a protest they were identified by the police there and then they were then an fir was filed against them or action was taken against them all of these kinds of backlash can happen and as a result there can be a chilling effect on people exercising their freedoms and this is not just for the right to protest the right to right to freedom of speech and expression can be violated the right to privacy is being violated just because i am in a public space does not mean that my right to privacy has ended and that means that you know anybody can can record me and the and facial recognition can be used upon me because here again it's important to understand and it, it brings me back to the second part of your question that there is no law which is regulating how all of this is happening so there is no law which regulates how the police uses facial recognition technology how the data that is collected is is processed is stored when it is deleted to with whom is it shared there is no law there is no data protection law there is no specific law with regard to facial recognition there is no standard operating procedure with regard to the how the police uses cctvs or facial recognition technology so in this legal vacuum anything goes okay so there's no laws to safeguard us but but how has surveillance sort of integrated itself into the legal framework but also you know the criminal procedures that we do already have in place those kinds of guidelines how is it how is surveillance come into consideration there so in terms of laws right like policing in india happens through policing courts so you have the ipc uh, the indian penal code uh, which was like as old as uh, from it's from a colonial era right 19, uh, 1862 uh, then you have crpc the criminal procedure code i think they passed a new law in 2022 called the criminal procedure uh, identification act which is to allow a lot of police departments to use some of these new technologies um, it's very wide so it's not specific to facial recognition they want to use fingerprint recognition they want to use um, say voice detection which they are trying to employ uh, now within our judicial systems to verify if a certain individual has made certain statements where surveillance was done right so uh, the criminal procedure identification code kind of gives a very vast set of powers for the police to do whatever they want and again there's no oversight um if you look at other countries right when like when you compare delhi chennai with china i think uh, china is a wrong comparison uh because i'm not saying because of the size because of our demographic uh nature of how these systems function right so we are importing these models from the west and the east both right like we we are importing cameras from japan because we don't want to import, import cameras from china because we see china as a threat and any camera from china we see that uh security of these uh cctvs itself can be questioned so we are then choosing the alternatives japan is a friendly country so japan provides us with the cameras uh, but if you look at the model side you're comparing hyderabad with new york or with london metropolitan police saying you you're becoming a global city all these other global cities also have these cameras like new york is full of cameras so is london so why is it not okay we we are just following the other countries and other cities right but the problem is uh, both new york and london police departments have oversight committees when there is uh, any violation of civil rights right so you can file a complaint against a police official we do not have that 
and a lot of these practices are public, right? Like you can file an RTI, you will know what systems are being used and what, uh, and you can challenge them in courts as evidence, right? Here, you're not informed what these systems are. From a very evidentiary point of view, when we, when I don't know what evidence is being collected through these systems, when I don't know how these systems function, I can't challenge them in courts. Even uh, judges are not really familiar with it because the systems are secretive in nature. Uh, in fact, uh, speaking of secrecy, uh, as I was saying, we have these laws. Uh, police also have rules, right? Like uh, we have the um, each state police department has uh, what they call police manuals and standing orders, which are essentially their rules and they follow them. But the, uh, they have to, like, when can you fire a gun? What do you have to do during a riot, during a protest? These are all standing orders. Now, ideally, the use of facial recognition and all of these evidentiary practices need to be part of their manuals. But you won't find the Telangana police manual at all. Like, it doesn't exist. It's been nine years Telangana has been formed where we saw all of these cameras that have come up in Hyderabad. But I can't find a single piece of manual which the police needs to follow to question them. I don't have that uh, power uh, in, in terms of information to question them. And there is, as I say, there's no oversight. That's what makes all of this complicated. So... Right now, there are no laws at all that are in place that provide any kind of protection over your privacy or security. Absolutely none. none. So if I if I had you know wanted my footage of myself walking down the street wiped from a certain CCTV camera for no reason other than I just don't want it there. There's nothing that would you know kind of allow me that leeway to ask for that. No, you don't. And uh, technically, you can file an RTI to request footage of a camera. But mm-hmm. they always tell you, so they don't store the camera footage more than 30 days. Right? So when you file an RTI, they have to reply to you within 30 days. So they reply to you on the 30th day, 30th day. that it has been deleted. Right. And in terms of harms, right, uh, there is also this. Like when you ask who is collecting this data, who is maintaining it, I don't think they have any sort of access management in place. When I say access management, every police constable has access to these systems. So they don't know who's accessing what footage at what time in terms of management. So you could have a random police constable accessing CCTV footage of, say, your colony and selling that footage illegally because there are no controls on who can access and why is he accessing is he accessing it part of an investigation procedure Uh, uh, is he filing any paperwork for that none all of these matter because you know cops with power can always misuse them and it's already happening so given this and anushka please feel free to jump in but how does this kind of transfer in a court of law? So I know you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but how much weightage is CCTV camera footage given in a court of law? Is it, you know, can we use it as evidence? It's so easy to tamper with video footage these days. There's deep fakes, there's AI technology, even basic editing, you know, how do, how is that presented? And is it, you know, some a piece of evidence that, is reliable and we can fall back on. So in order to use um, CCTV footage as evidence, there are certain conditions which have been laid down under the Indian Evidence Act under Section 65B, which says that, you know, these are the conditions based on which um, electronic evidence such as CCTV will be admissible. And... In that, you know, there are multiple things that, you know, what was the working condition of the computer during the recording of evidence? What is it being lawfully used by the owner of the operator? What is the regular use of the computer? Whether the information was fed into another computer in the ordinary course of activity? 
and um, what were the circumstances in which the the evidence was produced um, what was the device involved in production of electronic records so there are a lot of conditions under 65b uh, which have to be satisfied and then there is a certificate that has to be obtained under um, 65b i think some some subsection that you need to then produce in court to show that you know this is this is admissible um but you are right in the fact that technology has has um transformed so much um that it's very difficult to um actually identify uh, tampering with cctv footage to identify uh, you know if if something has happened or not however there are certain certain requirements under this subsection under this section um i am not a criminal lawyer so i don't want to speak to uh too much about you know how much is the section um actually efficient in making sure that the cctv footage is working or not but this is as far as i know that this is the conditions that are required and this is how it can be used um whether it's it's sufficient or not uh, i'm not sure but the thing is you are right uh, in a lot of situations we also we should also think about the fact that um the conditions in india uh, with regard to how cctv is deployed and you know the hardware that is used in in a lot of situations you know the hardware is damaged because of like it being windy or it being dusty the 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 quality of the recording itself is low so in that situation even if you know the if the recording has been made legally or even if you know everything has been done correctly the quality of the recording itself could be low so in that situation it could still not be sufficient evidence um so that is that is an issue that is there however there is a specific subsection in the indian, indian evidence acts which talks about how um dvi evidence can be introduced and can be admitted in court shrinivas would you like to add anything to that see when we talk about inspecting the evidence right uh, it's i mean i'm no lawyer uh, but if you've looked at some of the technical cases like take the aadhar constitutional bench uh, uh, where the whole right to privacy judgment was uh, uh, recognized right uh, the kind of technical arguments that took place during uh, the whole uh, judicial process are very low right you 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 don't have the option to do that i mean take the whole bima koregaon case uh, we know that there was malware that was used to plant evidence right um, and uh, that is still not part of the judicial discussions yet okay so even though that it's it's the evidence that being relied on which is a photograph uh, which is planted uh, proving it like these guys the advocates on the court uh, got an external consultant they showed uh, uh through cyber forensics that this evidence was planted right so now uh, these debates are new they are just happening there is no precedent yet um so from what i can say is if there is any footage no matter how it was obtained legally legally uh courts are going to take the side of the police okay uh, unfortunately it should be the police who has to prove it to us that this is authentic and it has been so the way authentication also happens is quite different in different evidence scenarios right so uh if cctv footage is blurry it's not good enough so what you do is uh, you go for a secondary evidence as i was saying you they get called data records right so if you have cctv footage which is placing a man at a place but mm-hmm. his phone was somewhere else he can make the argument i wasn't there here are my call data records i was at a different location but obtaining these call data records are hard for an individual like you and me the police can obtain it very easily right so in terms of uh, the litigation process that's involved uh, 
people uh, who are being accused uh, do not have the power to question these anymore even if they want to and it's in very selective cases when uh, they have the how do i put it uh, if they are they have the money and they have access to some of the good lawyers uh, only then you can go look into it like but if you're talking trial courts i don't think they are even investing any time and effort into it because most of the times the police try to get a confession of the individual that he was there so that just becomes the primary evidence and there are no you know kind of judgments or precedents that have been set so far with regards to how cctv surveillance footage is used am i understanding that correctly courts just accept it at face value at this stage i mean in both of your opinions i guess do you think that that is fair especially because you know video footage has the ability to sway you know someone's opinion the judge's opinion so much more than i think other forms of evidence is this something that is of concern um okay let's take a scenario like i know that with all of these smart city setups they installed cctvs everywhere right now it wasn't as i said cctvs are not being just used for profiling of criminals uh, they are also being used for traffic management they're also being used for waste management like keeping the city clean okay surat does this if you are found to uh, throw anything on the street they identify you and they penalize you now is it fair to use something like this uh, i don't know i mean take public smoking in hyderabad you see all these cops that are going on the street taking photographs of people sometimes it is to identify if you have a past criminal record because you look like a criminal you are or you are out in the middle of the night at a place where you shouldn't be like you're being stopped and you're identifying your identity is being ascertained but at the same time if you are doing public smoking they also take your photograph to file a petty offense so so you don't know what your information is being used for whether for traffic management whether for identifying who you are whether for uh, maintaining a host of laws is it fair uh, i don't know is it is it lawful i say it's not because there is no law which would technically um, follow the putuswami test the right to privacy judgment mm-hmm. will that ever happen if people challenge it like say i was smoking publicly and i was photographed and i was penalized most of the time i will just pay the fine and leave it you can challenge it saying that this was an invasion of my right to privacy people don't do that so this is going to continue this way the police have assumed power and they're doing what they want which has been the case from colonial days mm-hmm. and it's not going to change overnight okay anushka um i'm going to have you respond but i also want to add and this is you know probably a very naive question almost but do you think that the police know that they're all or always know that they're misusing this kind of you know cctv surveillance option that they have the option that they have to do this do you think that because there aren't you know straightforward laws or regulations in place that they always know that they are misusing it uh <laughs> that's a very um interesting question i don't want to attribute malice um in all cases um however i feel that you know when anybody is working for a cause they do become um convinced of that cause a lot of times the police and i think that's that's the that's the reasoning that the police gives right that they see so much crime they know uh that you know um if somebody has committed a crime they have that you know they they are able to identify criminals and in that um if sometimes 
um, they are, uh, you know, misusing CCTV or placing more reliance on CCTV when it should not be done or, you know, um, not uh, uh, showing evidence that may uh, not support their theory. I think in that situation, they do tend to justify those actions in the sense that they're doing it for the betterment of the society to remove criminals from the street. But, you know, we live in a, again, we live in a democratic society. Everybody has the right to a fair trial and we are innocent until proven guilty. So in a fair trial, there is um, the requirement that all evidence um, is introduced without it being prejudiced um, and even if you know everybody in the prosecution is completely convinced that a person has committed a crime but if they are not able to prove it uh, beyond reasonable doubt in a court of law especially in 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 a criminal proceeding then that person should not be held liable because they have not been able to prove it in court. So that is that is how, uh, you know, a rule of law country should work. Um, how much of that is happening is, is something that, you know, um, I mean, we all know how, how it works in reality. Um, but definitely, I think, I don't want to, again, attribute malice that, you know, they're doing it to get someone in jail. I think maybe they are doing it because they think they are this is the person who's committed the crime but you know we're not able to prove it and if you're not able to prove it this person will commit more crime maybe that's how they're thinking so um you know i i really don't want to get into the intention behind it however there needs to be a human rights assessment of these technologies how they are being used by the police the effect that they have um, what is the impact that these these technologies have um, in in the sense that when they are used correctly, the benefit that is coming is it um, comparable to the harm that is being caused when somebody's fundamental rights are affected because they are being used incorrectly. So um, you know there is another saying that you know a hundred guilty people if they walk free it's okay but one innocent person should not be charged incorrectly or you know should not be in jail um, because even if that person has not done anything wrong so i think that is mm -hmm. what needs to be provided primacy in this entire situation making sure that nobody's fundamental rights are taken away nobody's nobody's constitutional rights are affected negatively in the sense that because of these technologies they are being held incorrectly they are being surveilled and i think we have not even you know talked about surveillance yet we've just been talking about criminal investigation however the biggest concern of human rights activists and privacy activists is that these technologies will not really be used for criminal investigation as much as to surveil and profile uh, communities which have been historically discriminated against which have historically been marginalized which have historically been seen as criminal communities this is where the issue is that you know because bias is inherent in the policing systems itself um, you cannot say that the use of technology is going to solve all issues because the use of technology is only going to digitize the bias that is existing um, and it is only going to replicate the bias that is existing in in policing systems in India. So whenever a new technology is being used, there is it's very important um, to ensure that um, the way that it is being used, it does not negatively affect people. And that is why at Internet Freedom Foundation, at least we are of the opinion that the use of facial recognition can never be congruent with human rights. Um, especially by the police, because the harms that will occur in terms of surveillance and profiling can never be equal to whatever benefit the police thinks um, they are able to get out of it. I do kind of want to touch a little more on surveillance. When this, you know, data and this video footage is being collected, 
how does the government access it? If the government did want to, how does that sort of happen? Is Do they have that right? And then what's the aftermath of that? Okay, so because we're talking access to CCTVs, right? So you have multiple institutions which are installing CCTVs. Let's take Delhi. Within Delhi, you have multiple municipalities. So each municipality is installing its own CCTVs. It's a part of different funding sources. Then you have the police, which is installing their own CCTVs. Uh, And then you have, uh, say, individual colonies, neighborhood associations, RWAs, who are installing their own CCTVs, right? So technically speaking, any access to CCTV footage outside the ambit of the police cameras would require a warrant. Okay. Right? I'm talking here strictly from a right to privacy perspective and from a, uh, from the perspective of rule of law here, right? You won't acquire any evidence from a third party. You, you don't own them, right? So you have to get a warrant because that third party could be a fiduciary who is like, it could be like a, a CCTV company, right? Like there could be a CCTV company which is storing all of that data for you, like say Delhi schools where they put CCTVs and there is a private company which is maintaining all of that data before it's giving access to the parents. So Delhi police can go and access uh, this data from the schools only with warrant. But this doesn't happen. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't happen at all, but most of the time it doesn't happen because when police demand access to data, people give it away. Yeah. Only in certain scenarios where the cameras are in your own neighborhood, in your own house, or in your own colony, you can fight it, but it's still going to be hard because what happens is most RW associations will also cooperate with the police. There are no policies on how these uh, institutions uh, maintain this data and share it, right? It's interesting what the Hyderabad police is doing, Right. Uh, we had this act called the Public Safety Act of 2013, which was passed after the bomb blasts in Hyderabad in 2013, which forced the Hyderabad police to go all out and install cameras. It's because of security incidents that we are witnessing this. The Hyderabad police recommends a lot of people to use IP-based cameras. And IP-based cameras, you can remotely access them. And they have this giant war room, uh, which they call the command and control center, where they can access any camera in the state because there's an IP associated to it. Uh, They don't tell us what they're exactly doing, but we're afraid that they have direct backdoor access to cameras installed in neighborhoods because they're IP-based cameras through the CCTV vendor. Because the, uh, the Telangana police, what they did is they they gave out a list of empaneled CCTV entities and recommended most of these apartment complexes that you should only buy your cameras from them. The state intervened and told people what cameras to buy. If, if you were someone, you can say, I will buy a camera, but I'll buy a camera which I can control. But here, the government told you what camera to buy. So this allows them to pretty much access all the cameras. And like the idea of that surveillance state is when police have access to cameras beyond their control. Mm-hmm. And it's happening. This brings us back again to the data protection law and the need to adopt um, data protection principles, which would ensure that in personal data, especially that is being collected, is collected according to certain principles such as Um, you know, purpose limitation and storage limitation, which basically means that only that data is collected, which is useful for a lawful purpose. And it is stored only for that time till the purpose is being um, carried out. And after that, it's deleted. The CPIA does not follow any of these data protection principles. Um, There is no data protection law. The data protection law draft also does not follow any of these principles. So basically, all of your data that you've shared with the government could hypothetically be accessed by the police. And um, 
there is no limitation as to how long they could use the data or they could hold the data for because again like i said there is a legal vacuum when it comes to all of these systems and all of these processes so i just want to ask i mean why is this happening before laws are being developed or why isn't you know the use of this technology simultaneously being done along with the development of these laws is there like a flip side for the government for the police i mean surely there's some kind of consequence right of just not having any laws for those in power as well okay uh, a lot of these systems uh, came into place because of society's demands mm-hmm. okay cctvs primarily were pushed from a women safety angle the nibaya funds were used to promote them right uh if you look at all the setups on this national systems uh the idea was to develop them because of failures that took place during bombay attacks mm-hmm. we were modernizing our entire policing infrastructure the thing about modernization as a process is that they are little unsure of what the systems look like so you will have to experiment them right and to experiment various technologies you can't have a law bringing a law does not allow government to misuse some of these systems right so if you look at how governance functions in this country is so you do a pilot if it succeeds then you expand everywhere now there were multiple pilots that were done uh if hyderabad telangana invested in facial recognition andhra pradesh invested in iris so the cops in andhra pradesh go and collect people's iris using a giant iris machine which they carry it in a van okay so there were different police departments because police is under states states decide what they want to do different experiments were carried out across india Mm-hmm. if you had a law laws will not allow police to do things and laws are restrictions on the government on what they can do right like when when uh, when the hyderabad police say cameras are good they actually say every single camera is in equivalent of 100 police and that essentially means we have more police than the population in hyderabad that's extra legal policing we don't want that we don't want a repressive society where you're constantly being tracked laws are being brought as protections to citizens and yeah. no government will do that on its own without social demand the reason why these happen in the west is because there is a functioning democracy where uh parliamentarians and the senators they demand these they introduce laws they get them passed we do not have a functioning parliament and when you have a majoritarian government and especially in terms of national security matters which becomes an excuse laws are often sidelined That's it for this week's episode, but I'll be back soon to break down the next big data story. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for The Data Point by The Hindu. Thanks for listening.